effort to discuss a very sensitive subject. We're not here to bicker or fight. I pray, Lord, that each and every person in this place tonight will exercise a level of objectivity that perhaps they've never exercised before. Brother, oh Lord, that you would lead us into your truth, for your word is true. Pray, God, that you will open our hearts, our eyes, and our ears, and open our mind, Father, and prepare for us, prepare us to receive that which you have prepared for us this evening. In your name. Good evening. And welcome to the Laura Blooming College Student Center. My name is Tyler Ramey. I'm the director of Truth Enterprises. I'm also the organizer and promoter of tonight's event. I'll be moderating this evening's debate. Ladies and gentlemen, there's much, much more, believe me, than meets the eye in putting something like this together. Uh, with that in mind, I am compelled to call your attention to the donation tables located at both entrances. Um, all, any monies received tonight will go to cover the cost of this event only. No funds will go to any particular organization. Before we begin, I'd like to take an informal survey. How many ministers are represented here tonight? How many pastors? Please raise your hand. Thank you. And how many people here tonight learned of this event by way of newspaper advertising? Raise your hands, please. Uh, how many people learn this event through their church? Raise your hands. Okay. Uh, one more question. How many people drill a half hour more to get here? Preferably. Okay. Okay, thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, we have participants this evening that not only represent different perspectives regarding the matter at hand, but also different organizations. The audience is encouraged to visit the literature tables located to my left and to my right over here during the break or at the end of this evening's exchange. Material regarding Truth Enterprises, PFLAG, which is Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, and the Institute of Biblical Defense may also be acquired at the designated literature tables. This event has been organized by Truth Enterprises in association with Ferriston Theological Seminary and Christian Assembly, both of Albany, Washington. Literature regarding the seminary and Christian Assembly may also be secured at the literature table right over here through Dr. Rick Walston and or Reverend Gary Holding. Gentlemen, uh, raise your hands. That's Dr. Walston, Reverend Gary Holding. Homosexuality. It can be a very delicate subject matter. It has certainly touched everyone's life in some form or another. And as a topic of discussion or debate, it has the potential to be highly emotional, and it, it usually is. It also has the potential to be highly volatile. We, however, are here this evening under a banner of civility that will be consistently maintained. I repeat, we're here tonight under a banner of civility that will be consistently maintained. We're here for a civilized and constructive exchange of ideas with the hope that everyone uh, in attendance, the audience included and the participants, will be encouraged to and challenged to honestly and objectively compare the convictions shared this evening. Now these are the terms by which our participants tonight have agreed to come together and dialogue. Our primary goal tonight is to encourage you to make wise and educated decisions. In Matthew 22:37, Jesus is quoted saying, Love the Lord your God.
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He continues and says that this is the first and greatest commandment. The Bible commands the Christian, and I'm not going to be so presumptuous to think that everyone here tonight is a Christian, but the Bible commands the Christian to think and therefore exercise God-given, the God-given capacities of objectivity in making uh, wise decisions regarding all matters. Now, perhaps you are one who subscribes to the view that the biblical perspective is narrow and clear. Or perhaps you're one who subscribes to the view that the biblical perspective is broad and ambiguous. Or perhaps you're one who does not hold to any perceived biblical perspective because you reject the Bible as an authoritative moral standard. That view is your prerogative. But we're not here tonight to debate biblical authority. If you're here tonight to debate biblical authority and or its reliability, you're at the wrong debate. I personally would be happy to engage you in that matter at a later, at a later date. If we start tonight with an agreed-upon presupposition that the Bible is the written Word of God and we proceed by asking this question, what is the biblical perspective concerning homosexuality? There ought to be welcome agreement that God, through the inspired writings of Holy Scripture, has only one perspective regarding the matter. And that perspective must be an unchanging one or else we serve a wishy-washy and indecisive God. Again, ladies and gentlemen, the primary goal this evening is to encourage you and to challenge you to make educated decisions. And what better way than to hear the different convictions that will be shared momentarily. The format this evening will be as follows. There will be 20-minute maximum time limits for opening statements, 10-minute maximum time limits for responses. At that time, we'll take a short break, 10 or 15 minutes in length, and then we will reconvene with audience participation, audience uh, questions and answers. Closing statements will be five minutes maximum. Now, with regard to questions and answers from the audience, I must say that you will not be allowed to sermonize, lecture, or testify. Audience participation, questions and answers, means simply that. Questions from the audience, answers and responses from the participants. Now, without any further delay, allow me to introduce our participants this evening. To my right is Reverend Brody Maxwell. He's co-founder of the Southwest Washington chapter of PFLAG, which is Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. He's pastor of the First Congregational Church of Vancouver, Washington. Reverend Maxwell has been a pastor for 20 years, 11 of those years in Vancouver. A native of Washington, Reverend Maxwell has degrees from the University of Oregon, Chicago Theological Seminary, and the University of Missouri. He was a fellow at Harvard Divinity School. To my left is Reverend Phil Fernandez. He's founder and director of the Institute of Biblical Defense. He's pastor of Trinity Bible Fellowship of Bremerton, Washington, and is an adjunct professor of apologetics and philosophy with Ferguson Theological Seminary of Longview, Washington, after the Bremerton Extension. Reverend Fernandez holds a Master of Arts in Religion from Liberty University, Master of Biblical Studies and Doctor of Ministry from Bethany Theological Seminary, and is a PhD candidate in Philosophy of Religion with Greenwich University. Ladies and gentlemen, Reverend Maxwell has agreed to commence this evening's exchange. If you will, please welcome him as he comes. Reverend Maxwell.
dress. Thank you, Tyler. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Distinguished opponents, such as it were, uh, Reverend Hernandez. It's my pleasure to open the debate this evening, affirming that the biblical view of homosexuality is broad and open to questions and dialogue. My opponent's uh, position is, uh, of course, that it is narrow and quite clear. I have no hope that we will uh, be of one mind at the end of the evening. I do hope that we will be better informed of our perspectives and be more tolerant of our differences. And I hope that you will see and hear how two intelligent people of uh, deep spiritual conviction can address the same issue and use the same book uh, as, as uh, an authority book in your lives and in your faith and come to different conclusions. Before I begin my argument, I want to do a little survey and building on Tyler's, and uh, it'll help me to get a sense of who is here. How many of you are church members? Largely a church member audience. Um, and I want to say before I go on, if any of these questions are, are, are embarrassing to you or make you feel uncomfortable for any reason, just, just abstain. Uh, I presume then that most of you look to the Bible for, uh, uh, as a source of divine guidance and inspiration. Are there, how many of you here are, are related to uh, Reverend Hernandez's church or taking classes from him? Uh, how many of you know me from uh, my church or any other association? Uh, are there people of other religious traditions? here, besides Christian tradition. Besides me, this is where where it gets wrong. Besides me, are there any other left-handed people here? All right. There was a time when those of us who are left-handed were regarded as sinister. And into this century, it was thought that we could be and should be retrained. Some people believe that homosexuals can be and should be retrained. And coincidentally, the statistics indicate that about the same number of people are born homosexual as are born left-handed, though they're not usually the same people. Are there people uh, here this evening who are comfortable identifying themselves as homosexuals? Then I presume there are no left-handed homosexuals or Christian homosexuals here, or people at least comfortable identifying themselves. How many of us have a gay or lesbian member of our family or a close friend? Quite a few of us. Are there people here with uh, slavery uh, in your racial or in your family background? The Bible sanctions slavery. How many of us are women? Women? Anybody comfortable with women? Women in the Bible clearly are second class citizens. 
class human beings. And any woman that really needs to work and take the Bible seriously has to come to terms with that status, however you come to terms with it. It is an overwhelming Bible. Well, that's the end of my survey. What we learned from this little exercise? Two things. First, that we are indeed a diverse group of people. And second, we have learned that the Bible, which many of us take very seriously, can contain some serious booby traps. And we must remember that God's revelation has always come, including the way God has revealed through the scriptures, through a cultural situation, a cultural condition. Translation problems always abound in the Bible. We have learned that in order to get from here to there, from a problem like homosexuality to a new understanding, we need to know where those booby traps are. Think of it this way. If you were going off into a strange forest, you might be wise to take a guide. Preachers and teachers can be seen as guides that help take us through uh, the complexity and the pitfalls of the Bible. But I warn you, choose your guides carefully, especially on this issue, for the stigma and the related prejudice attached to being homosexual makes this issue a number one cause of suicide among teenagers. Choose your guides carefully. What you say in your church, what you say in your home, may affect the life of a loved one. French philosopher Albert Camus once said, I would like to honor truth and my country as well. We who treasure the Bible might say, we want to affirm a God of love and justice and affirm the Holy Scriptures as well. Serious users of the Bible have to learn where the booby traps, the pitfalls, and the minefields are in the Scriptures. We have to develop ways of moving from widely diverse human situations through the Scriptures to the God of love and justice. The success for a person of faith is to make that connection, to be grounded in being the person that they were created to be as an individual human being and also somehow connected to the God of love and justice. Now most of my life talking about homosexuality uh, was, was something that nobody did. But now of course uh, and whether the rest of us talk about this topic or not, for some people, homosexuality isn't a topic, it's real life. It's where they are with their family or with their individual identity every day in the morning and the weekend. For homosexuals and their families and friends, being true to themselves and also seeking to be in touch with God is a daily struggle. The Reverend William Sloan Kaufman, former pastor of Riverside Church in New York City, flagship of liberal Protestantism, uh, has said that uh, homosexual rights is the litmus test of all the justice issues of our time, of this particular time. 
And the issue of homosexuality has come out. It has come out of one of history's oldest and darkest and saddest plots. The choice of, uh, of ignoring it is no longer a faithful option. We, who are religious people, need to address it and try and make the connection between God and the people who are that way. In, in Nazareth, Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah, I have come to bring good news to the captives, freedom from those who are in chains, and the day of the Lord's acceptance. What is good news? What is freedom? What is acceptance for homosexual? Change your ways. Bible scholars are again showing us the way from the place where life has put us from the issues of our day to the divine place of love and justice. At this time, the issue is not about women. The issue is not about slaves. It's not about people with diseases or deformities. deformities. It's, about, it's not about people who are divorced. This time, the biblical minefield through which we must pass is about our brothers and sisters and, and, and our parents and children who were, by the grace of God, born homosexual. I do not believe that the God of love and justice wants us to deny these people. And if we can't hide them or shame them into hiding themselves, then how can we affirm them? The answer is simple. We affirm them by acknowledging the biblical ambiguity and broadening the base of our biblical understanding instead of using the scriptures to kind of beat them back into the closet. Now let me give you three examples. I'm sure Reverend Hernandez will give you many more, but most of the examples fall into kind of predictable categories. These examples are based on the work of Professor uh, Walter Wink of Auburn Theological Seminary in New York City. And Dr. Wink's article on this topic was published in the Christian Century, widely respected mainline Christian uh, journal. First, there's the notorious sin of Sodom. Wink pointed out the sin of the Sodomites would have been homosexual rape threatened not by homosexuals, but by the heterosexual men of this community that wanted to abuse the visitor in their midst. Their brutal gang rape has nothing whatsoever to do with the idea, the concept of genuine love between consenting people. A similar case occurs in Judges 19 through 21, only in this case the story is uh, in a totally Jewish setting. Second, there's Canaanite fertility rites, which infiltrated Jewish worship, and the King James Version inaccurately labeled uh, male temple prostitutes as sodomites. And the missing identification, the misidentification of the sin of Sodom resulted in a, in, in a carrying forward and a poor identification of several parts of the Bible. Several other texts which are commonly cited are ambiguous. 
Wink warned that it is not clear that in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 1 Timothy 1, 10 uh, refers to homosexual relationships. Dr. Eugene Worley of Eden Theological Seminary told me that it is highly possible that, that what so alarmed Paul that he saw going on in the Greek culture of his time was pederasty. And in short, it is unclear whether the issue is homosexuality alone or whether it's complicated by promiscuity or even sex crimes. Now, I will stipulate to my learned opponent that there are some passages in the Bible which are unambiguous. For example, Leviticus 18.22 states the, uh, the principle, you in the masculine shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And second Old Testament law, Leviticus 20.13, even adds a penalty. If a man lies with a male or with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination and they should be put to death. And their blood is upon them as though they were committing suicide. Now one reason why it was an abomination was that the male seed in Jewish tradition was considered to be the complete life form in ancient Israel. The womb of the woman was the vessel into which this complete Bible life form was planted. Now with that kind of understanding, any wasting of the seed was like an abortion. For the ancient tribes, their strength was dependent upon their numbers. And any waste of seed by interrupting intercourse or masturbation was considered an abomination. Is there anyone here who wants to be held to the letter of all these or any other Old Testament laws uh, about even those about straight sex? In Leviticus 18:19 and in, in uh, Leviticus 15:18 to 24, the law forbids sexual intercourse during the seven days of, of the menstrual period. And anyone who broke the rule was to be summarily executed. You're an ex-Marine. Just try and quote that rule to a bunch of hot-blooded sailors who just come home from the sea. If we who are heterosexuals want to have a little ambiguity in our guidelines, how about the same for homosexuals? Fair is fair. Just as heterosexual, we heterosexuals are overwhelming uh, majority, there's no excuse to give us uh, uh, all of the biblical slack, if you will. Finally, there is uh, Paul's clear denunciation in Romans 1, 26 to 27. How can you be more Christian and more theologically correct than St. Paul? He denounces dishonorable passions men giving up natural relations with women and being consumed by passion for one another. Shameless act. The essence of the problem which many of us have with homosexuality is that what is natural for those of us who are heterosexual is unnatural for someone who, by the grace of God, is born homosexual. Ancient cultures reflected in the Bible expected the homosexual to deny their God and give up their God-given orientation. 
because it doesn't make sense either emotionally or functionally to us or to those who are heterosexuals. Paul reflected the prejudices of his time. And that bias rolling forward through history has led millions of people into prejudice, tragedy, persecution, deception, frustration, and suicide. Paul, the man whom the ancient church called the saint, called himself, however, foremost among the sinners. And he lamented his own problem, which is, woe is me, I am ill-born. What was so ill about it? And he confessed, the good that I would do, I do not, and the evil that I would not do, that I do. He was an ex-Pharisee who lifted up, however, the possibility of redemption for all people purchased through Christ on the cross. It's time to find a little biblical slack for our homosexual brothers and sisters. It's time to find a way for honest people, human beings of every size and shape and sex and color and sexual orientation to affirm and be affirmed by God's love and justice. Before it is anything else, the Bible is a guide to the connection between God and creation. And we have this book. And we know that there are movie trends. But there is a way for all people to be welcomed into the loving arms of God. Thank you very much. deals with the question, what is the biblical perspective concerning homosexuality? It is my conviction that the biblical perspective is narrow and clear. The Bible unambiguously declares homosexuality to be a sin. Still, as St. Augustine has written, we are to hate the sin, but love the sinner. But if we really love homosexuals, we will plead with them to flee from their lifestyles before it destroys them both physically and spiritually. A recent study which analyzed 7,500 obituaries revealed that the life expectancy of a homosexual male is 41 years. The same study also uncovered that the life expectancy of heterosexual men who have stayed married is 75 years. Other results of this study indicated that the life expectancy of lesbians is 44 years, while women who stayed married have a life expectancy of 79 years. If we love smokers, we will plead with them to change their unhealthy lifestyles. Should we not do the same for homosexuals? Before we examine what the Bible says about homosexuality, we must keep in mind that the scriptures do not consider homosexuality the only sexual sin. All sex outside of a monogamous marriage relationship, outside of a monogamous marriage relationship between a man and a woman, is declared by God to be sinful. Still, this debate is centered on the question of homosexuality. Therefore, I will now turn to what the Bible teaches concerning homosexuality. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28 
tells us that God created mankind male and female, and he commanded them to multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 2.18 states that God decided to make for man a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.24 declares that a man shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It is clear from these passages that the intention of God's creative purpose for human sexuality is a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman. Sexual intercourse within God's will is limited within the bonds of heterosexual, monogamous marriage. This conclusion is confirmed by our Savior, Jesus Christ, when he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Matthew 19, 4 and 5. The Bible tells us of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Though homosexuality was not the only vice in these cities, the Bible makes it clear that this sin was one of the main reasons why God judged them. Genesis 19, verses 1 to 11, speaks of the men of Sodom gathering at Lot's house and calling out to Lot, saying, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with. Lot's two visitors were actually angels who manifested themselves as men. Lot's carnal attempt to rescue his visitors was his offer to provide the men of Sodom with his two virgin daughters. But the men of Sodom rejected Lot's offer. Finally, the angels miraculously struck the immoral men with blindness. Jude, commenting on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, wrote, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. That's Jude, verse 7. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 20 to 25, lists several sins that if they become widespread in a society, will destroy that society. The sins listed include adultery, idolatry, infanticide, homosexuality, and bestiality. In this passage, God refers to homosexuality as an abomination. He states, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. God tells his chosen people that his judgment would fall upon the inhabitants of Canaan for practicing these vices. He warns Israel that his judgment will also fall on her if she partakes of the same sins. The Lord proclaims, Do not defile yourselves by any of these things, for by all these the nations, nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. For the land has become defiled, therefore I have visited its punishment upon it, so the land has spewed out its inhabitants. This passage should be viewed as a warning to all nations, both Jew and Gentile. As Dr. Tim LaHaye wrote in 1978, a homosexually lenient society will incur the wrath of God. Under the Old Testament legal code, the Mosaic Law, the sin of homosexuality was punishable by death, Leviticus 20, verse 13. However, Israel was a theocracy ruled directly by God, and their religion was enforced by law. This is not the case in America. We are not God's chosen nation. We are a pluralistic society. Therefore, the death penalty for homosexual sins should probably not be enacted in Gentile countries. Still, the fact that God ordered the death penalty for, this, 
for the sin of homosexuality in Israel reveals clearly that God considers homosexuality a heinous offense. The New Testament is as critical of the homosexual lifestyle as is the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32, the Apostle Paul speaks of man's rejection of the true God and the resulting descent into idolatry and gross immorality. Paul states that because men reject the true God, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Paul declares, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for the woman exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, and in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. After listing several other sins, Paul proclaims, although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Paul's condemnation of homosexual desires is obvious, especially when one examines the descriptive terms he uses, lust, impurity, and degrading passion. He refers to homosexual acts as unnatural and indecent. Paul's condemnation of homosexuality in both thought and deed is extremely clear. If a person accepts the Bible as God's word, he or she should admit that homosexuality is one form of sinful rebellion against God. The Bible's condemnation of homosexuality in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 makes plain the fact that a person cannot be a practicing homosexual and a true believer at the same time. For Paul declares, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Though a practicing homosexual is not a true believer, there is hope. For in the following verse, Paul clearly teaches that a homosexual can be saved. Paul states, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus can save anyone who genuinely trusts in him alone for salvation. However, Jesus saves us from both the penalty and the power of sin. Though true Christians are not perfect, their lives will be characterized by righteousness and good works. For God changes believers from within. Believers don't do good works to get saved. They do good works because they are saved. Ephesians 2.8-10, James 2.26, and Romans 3.31. Both Jesus and Paul teach that true believers are no longer slaves to sin. John 8, 31 to 36, and Romans 6, 17 and 18. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11, two Greek words are used to identify homosexuals. The first is malakoi. This word means those who are soft to the touch, and it is used of males who submit their bodies to unnatural sex acts performed by other males. The second word used for homosexuals in this passage is arsenikoite. This word means one who lies with a male as with a female, a sodomite, a homosexual. 
These definitions are agreed upon by scholarly works such as the New Thayer's Greek-English Lexicon and the Greek Dictionaries of Strong's Concordance and the New American Standard Exhaustive Concordance. Greek scholars such as A.T. Robertson and Kenneth S. Weiss also identify these words as terms denoting homosexuality. There is also universal agreement among the leading Bible versions concerning these two Greek words found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The major translations such as the New American Standard, uh, the NIV, the New International Version, the King James, and the New King James, all agree that these words uh, denote homosexuals. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, Paul again used the Greek word, arsenikoitai, for homosexuals. In this scripture, Paul refers to homosexuals and other sinners as those who are lawless and rebellious. There is simply no way to honestly deny the fact that the Bible, both in the Old and New Testaments, declares homosexuality to be a gross sin. The biblical perspective concerning homosexuality is narrow and clear. The Bible calls homosexuality a sin. Not only is outward homosexual behavior a sin, but the Bible also condemns homosexual desires. This was seen in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27, where Paul denounced homosexual lust as degrading passions. Jesus agreed with Paul that sin originates in the heart of man, Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 28. Jesus also stated, but I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart, Matthew 5, 28. Therefore, according to the Bible, sexual sins can occur in one's thoughts, even if one does not partake of any sexually immoral behavior. This is why the Bible states that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Some proponents of homosexual rights claim that many people are born homosexuals. They had no choice in the matter. Homosexuality is viewed not as an acquired or learned behavior, but as something that is determined by a person's genetic makeup. However, there is no undisputed evidence that homosexuality is gen genetically determined. Many psychologists and psychiatrists who counsel homosexuals still view homosexuality as an acquired behavior. Several factors seem to discredit the notion that some people are born homosexual. For instance, many homosexuals have changed their lifestyles and become heterosexual. But how could this happen if they were genetically programmed to be homosexual? Also, there are many known cases where the identical twin of a homosexual is heterosexual. If homosexuality is genetically determined, this would not be the case. Still, even if we assume for the sake of argument that homosexual tendencies are genetic, this would change nothing. For the Bible teaches that all men inherit a sinful nature, Psalm 51.5. Because of our sinful nature, we naturally sin, Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23. Still, the Bible holds us accountable for our sins and commands us to repent and turn to Jesus for the power to say no to sin. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, John 8, verse 11, and verses 31 and 36. Many infants are born addicted to nicotine or cocaine, but we do not protect the right to smoke cigarettes or snort cocaine. Since we know these habits are unhealthy, we attempt to help them discard these, those destructive tendencies. 
If a man inherited a tendency towards violence, no one in their right mind would defend his right to beat people. If homosexuality is genetic, we would still be required to persuade the homosexual to flee his destructive lifestyle. The good news of the Bible is that we can say yes to God and no to sin. Without Jesus, we are slaves to sin. But with Jesus, we become new creations and slaves to righteousness. The homosexual who admits that he, like all men, is a sinner who cannot save himself and genuinely turns to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation becomes a new creation. The Holy Spirit will indwell the former homosexual and empower him or her to flee from the destructive homosexual lifestyle. The Apostle Paul rejects the idea that a believer can, cannot refrain from getting into temptation. He states, No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Homosexuals can, as many have done, flee their sinful lifestyles by turning to Jesus for salvation. It is my earnest prayer that homosexuals would choose Jesus and reject their immoral lifestyles. We have shown that the Bible clearly calls homosexuality sinful. Now the question arises, should it be legal? Americans live in a free country. This country does not enforce every detail of Christian morality. Still, the American concept of freedom is the freedom to pursue happiness so long as one does not infringe on the freedom of another. Due to unhealthy practices such as anal intercourse, the ingestion of pieces, the drinking of urine, and the insertion of one's fist into another's anus, homosexuality has become the breeding ground for many dangerous diseases. Some of these diseases, such as hepatitis B and tuberculosis, can be spread through casual contact. Though AIDS apparently cannot be spread this route, there are many homosexual diseases that can be spread this easily. Therefore, for the protection of society, homosexuality should be outlawed. Amen. Homosexuality is a public health issue, it is not a civil rights issue. We must never forget God's warning to Israel that widespread homosexuality will defile the nation. Since God instituted human government to protect the well-being of its citizens, Romans 13, 1-4, Christians are biblically justified in their attempts to return homosexuality to an illegal status. If homosexuality is not outlawed, America will become a diseased nation. This is not homophobia. This is theophobia, a healthy fear of God. Homosexuals need Jesus to save them from their sin, but let us never forget that we are all sinners. Except for the grace of God, none of us would be saved. God's love drove his son to Calvary to die a horrible death for our sins. Let us come to Jesus for salvation and forgiveness those who come to him will not hunger, and those who believe in him will never thirst. I'm really looking forward to the audience participation, and I suspect that quite a few of you are also. Uh, you can see two people up here talking past each other in some cases, and at each other, and agreeing with each other. And, uh, but uh, let's, we'll move into some dialogue here real quick. One of the obvious uh, 
points of difference between uh, Phil, who now agreed to call each other by our first names, and Phil and me is uh, uh, the question of uh, homosexuality as a choice, uh, rather than uh, as an orientation that is uh, part of a person and most, for most, in most cases, uh, through their genetic inheritance from birth. And uh, the American Psychological Association, which uh, once saw this as a fixable illness for, for more than the last 25 years, has regarded this as a gift, as, a, as, a, as, a, as something that the way people are born, and that the problem is not how to fix them, but how to, to help people who are born with a homosexual orientation live the fullest, most natural, most rewarding lives possible. And of course, we're trying to live a full life in a society where uh, prejudice against them is institutionalized, in some cases legalized, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and deeply rooted is a very great problem. And the movement and the discussion of recent years has been largely to get rid of the prejudice and to get, get the, the emotions out of the closet so we can talk. One of the best benefits of this kind of meeting this evening so we can talk about this sort of thing. Now, uh, Phil uh, mentioned that that the Bible has one single model for, for marriage, and that's clearly not true. Uh, uh, and <laughs> there are all kinds of relationships of people in, in, in the Bible, uh, people with polygamous relationships, uh, wives uh, suggesting that, that patriarchs in the Old Testament have, have children by, by the, the, the slave girls. And, it, you know, it, with this whole range of sexual uh, uh, of, of relationships that are part of the Bible. And then there are all these primary characters, especially in the New Testament, whose sex life is almost totally invisible. Jesus and the disciples and Paul, none of them have any kind of marriage relationship whatsoever. Uh, they talk about it as a theoretical thing, but in terms of modeling, my, you know, family life and one wife and their children, it's, it's just silent. There's nothing there. And so uh, this is a, a, a situation where the Bible really is, says different things to different people. Phil quoted uh, the, you know, the, the, the line of agreement in terms of trans, translation, what those particular words might mean. His line of agreement runs right through experts and, and linguists and, and biblical scholars who are people who 